I'm Anita Annabelle, and this is The Good Chat. No, I'm not like compliments. Quietly, I'm loving it. <laughs> I love making brands. I don't know what to that's tell you. It. I'm a psychic. This podcast is going to be a hit. little chit chat. This is probably the best chat. No, that's why this is called The Good Chat. We get that's good chat, true. mate. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of The Good Chat. I'm Anita Annabelle and I'm here with today's episode and very special guest, Michelle Bridges. Now, Michelle Bridges has had, as you probably know, an incredibly busy year. She not only started by competing on Dancing with the Stars, she then went on Celebrity Apprentice and now she's an ambassador for Share the Dignity and Always Discreet. We chatted about the causes that are really close to her heart, as well as The Biggest Loser and whether it would be a good show to have on in 2021. Spoiler alert, we don't think so. Michelle spoke about women's health and she also talked about the star who gave her her very first break in Australian TV and I had no idea that this is how she got onto our screens. She was also very open and honest and spoke about those really tough times that she's had more recently in the spotlight. It was such an enlightening chat. She is so lovely in person and I really, really hope that you enjoy. Here's Michelle Bridges. Hi, Michelle. How are you? Hi, how are you going? Thank you so much for being on The Good Chat today. I've been a huge fan since The Biggest Loser Days, so this is a really big thrill to have you on. Oh, thank you. Those days were beautiful. I cherished them. It was such it was such a fun lifestyle back then. Like I was literally working probably six months of the year on, on that show. Like when we first started, it was six it would easily be by the time we did touring for publicity. And the show itself, it would have been six months. So I used to have to dedicate half a year to the show and half a year to all of my other things. Um, it was great. And we just, we had a great crew. Like a lot of the crew were the same crew all the way through for like the 10 years that we lasted. It was a long lasting show. And we did a lot of great work. So yeah, it was a beautiful, beautiful memory. And I do want to talk about The Biggest Loser a little bit more a little bit later on. But firstly, I wanted to talk about you being an ambassador for Always Discreet and Share the Dignity. Now, I know that these are here to raise awareness that more than, and I'll, I'll get this fact out, that more than a quarter of Australian women over 50 are struggling to afford the sanitary protection that they need. That is absolutely absurd. Why is this cause so important to you? Well, look, there's a couple of reasons. I mean, first and foremost, I've built my entire career. I, I've based what I do for a living um, and built businesses empowering mm. women and inspiring women and supporting women and holding women up to be revered. So uh, to find those statistics are real in Australia in 2021, it just blows my mind. Um, and you know, the other aspect to this as well is that I'm a mum now. So to think of women on the streets, and there are a lot, there's 56,000 women on the streets in Australia every night, every night. Now, these women are on the streets for a whole range of reasons, but most of them are, it's about domestic violence. This is where I, this is where I go, I get a bit unstuck. Many of them are on the streets with their kids. Mm. Like, and I just think, like, are you serious? I put myself on the street with no money, fearful of my safety for 
from domestic violence. Now I'm fearful for my safety because I'm living on the street and I'm trying to protect my five-year-old son. It's truly terrifying. That, I can't even. But we just have to see if we can make some difference, you know? Like, I don't want to sit on my hands. I've got this amazing opportunity to do this because I have a bit of a platform. People know who I am shine a bit of light on this you know I, I started working in mental health with black dog probably 12 years ago and 12 years ago mental health was not it was a taboo topic now you know mental health is like part of the uh, English vernacular we talk about it all the time I'd like for this now to be the next n- new vernacular I don't want it to be taboo anymore you know, it is a little bit of a taboo topic of domestic violence. It's becoming more and more um, talked about, uh, conversational. Um, but the issues for women, particularly when they're in their 50s and beyond, although this kind of issue, bladder leakage, can happen at any age. I've worked with countless women in my career as a personal trainer with women in, in the gyms um, or who wouldn't even come to the gym because they were too scared of what could happen. And I was in my 20s thinking, wow, is this, is this thing that we're all going to have to deal with at some point? It's one in three. So if it's not you, it's your mom, it's your sister, it's your auntie, it's your cousin, it's your, it's your next door neighbour, it's your best friend. Every woman can definitely relate. I just want to read out some stats, though. So back on the period poverty, more than 59% of women say they've had to sacrifice everyday items to afford the necessary protection. So we're talking like household items here, you know, clothing, food, even sacrificing rent just to pay for sanitary options. And then 33% of women who struggle to afford the sanitary protection have resorted to unhygienic alternatives like tissues, paper towels, or toilet paper. This is absurd because all women have a right to sanitary products. How do you want to see these stats changed? I just want to see these women in these particularly um, troublesome times in their life. And it's not to say that it's going to be like that forever. And I hope that some themselves in these positions are able to claw their way out of it. But nonetheless, when you're in a position like that, your dignity is already through the floor. Your confidence is already through the floor. And then to have this on top of it, Mm. it's like, what else do I need here? You know, what else, you know, I can't give me a break. So that, that's really like it's about doing one small thing. If we can help women with their own um, personal hygiene when they're in a situation where they've got no money, they've got no home, they've got children to protect, they're maybe living in a women's shelter, like if can we give them some dignity, at least this? I really loved what you said about using your platform for good because you're almost giving a voice to those who can't give themselves a voice. And I think that's so important in this day and age if you have a platform that you use it for good. And speaking of that, let's talk about Celebrity Apprentice because this was your first foray back into the spotlight in a while and it was a really great opportunity for us to see what you were made of. Well, thank you very much. It was a big because I've really sort of just channeled all of my energy uh, around my family, around my businesses, most definitely, but mostly around my son uh, and just making sure that he's thriving and that he's got everything that he needs and he's got his mum, that's really important to me. So to kind of get pulled out of that, to go, 
on this crazy old win of a television show. It took a little bit of convincing, but not too much convincing once I realised that I was able to potentially shine a light on the women's community shelters who I was doing work for and still do work for them as well uh, and potentially raise money and maybe just have a bit of fun because my life has been fairly full-on serious for the last couple of years and just, uh, you know, very focused. I just thought, oh, maybe this could be something for me and to have a little bit of fun. It was nuts. It was absolutely bonkers. It looked that way. Um, and I had a lot of support to help me get to that place. Like just getting onto the set the first day took three months of military precision trying to figure out all the parts of my life, and I'm sure it was the same for everybody else. Um, but it does make things trickier when you're the sole carer it's just all down to you. I don't have family that live. So it took us a bit to get that over the line, but I did it. And then I experienced a really good, fun time and met some wonderful people and still have good from that show. Really good friendship. I truly loved the camaraderie that came out of this season. It was so great to watch and great television. What was the most challenging thing about being on the show? And did you buy into all that crazy drama that was happening on and off screen? I mean, there was a few challenging things on that show. There was the big hours. We were all under the pump. You know, we would start, we would, you know, be kind of getting to set by maybe 5 or 5.30 a.m., which meant, you know, you're setting your alarm for maybe 4 or 4.30. And then uh, we would be there some nights till 11 um, some days were a little bit easier, but the hours were pretty grueling. And I think the the other challenging thing is once you were in your groups, you were, it was that first that day one, you were given the task and you'd be given it what they called a dossier, which was like this thick document of like maybe 30 pages, full on text of like all the rules, regulations, the guidelines, the parameters, what could be done, what couldn't be done, what had to be done. And it was designed to trip you up. It was designed to have you go, ooh, and make mistakes. Um, that I found was the, probably the most stressful was that that first day of going, oh, my God. And somehow I was always tasked in my group to go through the dossier because I was always like, oh, fine tooth comb, fine tooth comb, fine tooth comb. So I, you know, because it would stress me out. So they could see that I was like going through it so you know, d distinctly, I always got ended up with it. I was like, I don't want it. It's, it's, I get will to live. It's like an hour of my life that I'm never going to get back. <laughs> I mean, it's so great. I think watching you guys all, you know, celebrities being so vulnerable and raising money for these charities that are just so close to your heart, it's so wonderful to watch. Yeah, I mean, there's, that's the first and foremost is we're there to raise money and we're going to fight for that. We're going to fight hard for that. There's also, you know, whether anybody admits it or not, there's a little bit of ego on the line too. You seem to like, hey, I've got my own businesses. I run companies. I do, I'm, you know, I, I do all these things. I don't want to be like, oh, Michelle's a bit of a dud, isn't she? You know, I think all of us kind of, our chops and you know what what worth we have outside of that it's also a reality television show and drama you know speaks volumes i don't really know how much of it is really real but it is really interesting to see you all in this way because usually we see such a polished version and this i guess is just showing that you're all human yeah yeah we're not as poised and put together 
<laughs> yeah. Sometimes it was tears of laughter, but sometimes not so much. <laughs> well, this is obviously not your first rodeo on Australian television. I mean, since 2007, you've been on primetime television, particularly with The Biggest Loser. But I believe you were on TV before that. I started on Dance. I used to teach at a club called um, Hyde Park Club, owned by Kerry Packer at the time. I was in my 20s and a lady by the name of Kerry Ann Kenley used to come to my classes. So I had this idea about pitching concept of a health and fitness segment on her morning show and I used to annoy her ad nauseum like she was just like over me because I would keep trying to pitch this idea and then eventually she gave me handed me over to her producers and that took a little bit more you know, negotiating, but we finally got it over the line that we, I did like this, she called it a two minute vignette or a three minute vignette where I would go on and I'd talk about fitness and the best way to do a squat, the best way to do a push up, the best way to do a crunch. Um, and then she said, they rate the producers rang me one day. I was only just started and couldn't even believe I'd got it over the line. And they said, can you cook? And I'm like, Sure. Oh, my gosh. Oh, we want you to cook a meal on camera, live. Like, no worries. I hung up the phone and went, oh, my God. <laughs> I think that day, like, 27 sam- uh, fillets of salmon until I perfected it, and I went on the next day and, and cooked salmon. So, you know, I, I, I've been doing it even before Loser, but it was just because I had so much passion of being able to kind of yeah, let everybody know about the benefits of health and fitness. Quick side note, I actually used to work at 54 Park Street, which is the old ACP building, which is that gym. Yes. I know exactly where that is. Yeah. I used to train at that gym. Yeah, it was great. Very personal. It's not so intimate and personal anymore, but it is so fancy and so fabulous. It's called Premier Gym. It's such a great place. That's when I met Carrie Ann and that's when I went on and to do the little fitness stuff. But that was before Loser turned up. Actually, I'm really curious about your opinion on this. Due to the body positivity movement now, do you think that we'd be able to have a show like The Biggest Loser anymore? Question. Um, I know that when we were coming to the end of it, I was starting to feel like we needed to change. We needed to, I hate this word, but it's so perfect. We needed to pivot in order to stay relevant. We we were old show. Um, and five years ago when it was the last episode or last season or thereabouts, um, in 10 years, the, everything changes. The vernacular changes. The environment changes. Yeah. Our headspace changes. I mean, God, te- technology changes so much in 10 years. And we were coming in off the back of a, a style which was built uh, in America. So it had a very American vibe to it as well, even though it was all Australian people um so I was very clear that we needed to change and in the end I decided that I was done and they were going to do one more go and they did and it didn't work it just it it didn't even make it to the end of the season they they pulled it which is such a shame because I love that show and I have so much great memories from it if we were to do something like that today, it would have to be different. There, there's no question. I mean, that was what 
2007. You know, a lot has changed in the world (laughs) in those years. It would really have to be so different, wouldn't it? Yeah, I guess, you know. There there were some things in it that I just thought, you know, why? You know, sometimes I just really thought the temptation, really? Do we really need that? Come on, we're a bit more grown up than that now. But, you know, people still enjoy watching others transform themselves. I mean, it's quite extraordinary to watch someone completely transform their life and the way in which they think, not just about their weights, but the way in which they view the world and the way in which they view themselves. And that I feel that that's still very appealing. It, it was so interesting. I feel like I did a master's degree in psychology for nine years um, because I, I would have, you know, my, my contestants who would, have completely changed their life like literally their look everything they've dropped you know 25 kilos they're fitter they're stronger they're they're a weapon in the gym and they would look in the mirror and their body had made but their head hadn't caught yet I think that's such a relatable thing so many people who struggle with their weight you can lose as many kilos as you possibly can but it's such a mental game as well And that's something that I've struggled with my whole entire life, feeling not worthy because of my weight. And I guess that's probably the reason why you wanted to help people in this industry. And it really does prove that losing weight doesn't always equal happiness. Why did you start in this industry? Well, um, it started as a child. Um, I fell in love with my sport. I just tried to play everything. I was good at some things and really crap at other things, but I loved it. I fell in love with the training. I fell in love with um, the competition. But what I realized at like the age of eight, nine, ten, that I was learning some really valuable life lessons. I got it. Like I got that I was learning stuff that was going to carry me through the rest of my life. Things like accountability, responsibility, resilience, taking it on the chin, how to be a team player, how to be a team player, but also striving to be a star performer at the same time, how to win, how to lose, big lessons right there. And so I just I just loved sport for that. You know, it wasn't necessarily whether I was good at it. It was just that's what I was getting out of it. And so when I moved to one of my final schools, I was at like the sixth school that I went to, Um, I got there and there was a lot of kids that weren't participating in sport at all. So I pitched the concept to my, um, um, my school mistress that I would teach fitness classes for sport to all the kids that weren't participating in sport. So she gave me the green light. And so I started teaching it. I, we emptied, we cleared out one of the classrooms and those kids could come and do like fitness. You know, I'd have my cassette recorder and I'd be dressed in my Jane Fonda outfit and I would teach them fitness in the view that I thought, well, if they're not going to play sport, maybe I can still give them that vibe that I get from exercise from sport like this. I really had no idea what I was doing, but I thought I was awesome. So I went down to the local squash courts after about a couple of months of doing owner. Um, oh, I teach fitness classes and I can fill that squash court that's always empty. And so he gave me a job no as a 14 way. year old to teach fitness classes, completely untrained, completely uninsured. Like you'd never get away with it now. And that's how I started. Quick question though. How come you went to six different schools? Oh, my, my mum and my dad separated when I was young and my mum, we just moved around because, you know, 
they separated. Then we moved because we went to live with my grandparents. Then we moved when we came back to Newcastle, which is where we were from, you know, so it just happened that way. But unfortunately what that meant was going to lots of different schools. And, you know, I think part of my um, resilience is due to the fact that I did go to so many schools. And of course, when you're a new kid on the block, you're an easy target for bullying. Um, so I, there was a lot of that going on for me. But again, why I kind of leaned into my sport because it was the one place that I could shine and be myself. Um, and again, that's the whole reason why I thought these kids are missing out. Like they need to get it. Honestly, I would love to see you teaching these kids at the age of 14 using like a cassette player and being completely untrained. It was wild. That's where I started. I haven't stopped. <laughs> I would buy records and then I would record the record. I don't know, even know how I did it, but I would record the record, the song onto my blank cassettes. So I had all my favourite songs on my cassettes and then I'd take my little Walkman down and, and that's, that's that. <laughs> I mean, people don't even know what cassettes are these days. <laughs> no, I do. I swear. I know what a cassette is. I used to have this like little uh, Fisher and Paykel, a little brown one. And I used to love that thing. <laughs> Honestly, it's such a cool story. I had no idea. What a great way to start your career. Just kind of snowballed from there, really. Like I had lots of normal jobs, as my mum would say, you know, working in different situations like a bank and so on but I always had my fitness going on in the background and I was like I want to do this for real like I want to do this as my job and that's kind of how I pushed into it I suppose. Now I want to talk about your son Axel he's five years old what do you learn from being his mum? Oh I've learned to be much more vulnerable um, I, I know um, you know I can cry like that Whereas before I was a lot, I had a lot more poise about myself. I could hold it together better. I, you know, it's just, I've become just heaps more vulnerable and empathetic. Although I was empathetic before, I don't know. It's just, it just up a hundred percent because you immediately keep going, you know, I know how that must feel. Like I'm a mother, that was your son or that was your dog. My God, you know, so you just instantly, the vulnerability side of you just amps up and the compassion side of you amps up so much um I have no idea what I'm doing <laughs> I think I'm just every mother says that or at least I'm going to be open about it like I, every day I think am I doing this the right way you don't know <laughs> you just make sure that you love them and you take care of them and you become very much fiercely protective like that dragon mother um but at the same time try to give them enough room to stretch their wings and learn to grow it's a it's amazing being a mum like I, I don't regret it at all I in fact I wish I'd started earlier but I'm just grateful that I did it when I did which was quite late I had him when I was 45 five. yeah so you know I got lucky and um and I'm very blessed I'm sure there are a lot of people, myself included, who are at a certain age and they think I'm never going to be have, able to have children. And then, you know, to see someone like you have children at the age of 45, it does give a little bit of hope. And I know that there are so many people out there struggling to have children and to conceive and everybody's story is so different. How did you handle the press at the time? But it's just such a, it's just, there's just so much to it. You know, like I, I remember, 
being a bit naive um, and getting a lot of heat because of it. I remember saying, oh, you know, I, I maybe put it down maybe to the fact that I'm, I've always looked after myself. I've always had really good health and I've taken care of myself. And I, I got blasted in the media for saying that. There's a lot of backlash of people that have said, you know, look, I look after myself, you know, I do, I've done all of that too. So, and I get that. So I thought, okay, that was a naive thing to say, Michelle, lesson learned. Um, it's, there's a lot, there's a lot to it. And if you're fortunate enough to, to fall, then, you know, great. Um, sometimes you need assistance. Great. Um, you know, I feel for, for all the women and men out there that are trying to fall pregnant and having trouble. I know, I know many people are in that boat. Um, personally, I know them and it's hard. Mm. I can imagine going through these things at the best of times is difficult and then parenting can be so difficult. And then you've got that added pressure of being in the public eye. I mean, how do you go through those moments when it feels like the entire world is shaming you or you're being blasted in the media? Uh, it just is what it is, you know, like it comes with the territory. It's not easy. Uh, I don't think anybody in uh, the public eye would would say anything other than that. It's um, it, you know, we're we we we're still someone's daughter. We're still someone's mother. We're still someone's sister. We're still someone's neighbor. We're still someone's best friend. Um, and all of the people in that little circle that we have, they all get hurt too because they just love you so much and want to protect you and wrap you up. Um, but I I don't know. Like I feel like it is absolutely awful and there's moments where you just don't want to come out of the door uh but I feel there is a conversation being had now that started about people and how you know horrible it is to do that I, I feel like that conversation is starting totally I feel like particularly with social media now with uh there's so much out there about bullying and abuse online uh, you know, the media have a big hand to play in hurting people. But, you know, you've only got to look at those headlines on those magazines and think, wow, really? It's, um, mm -hmm. it's nasty. It's grubby. Uh, and it's, it's hurtful. But that's when you really lean into your mates and your friends and your family and you know, I've, I've had so many people be so supportive, people that I know, uh, and people that I don't know. And so I've always made it now very much. Uh, I'll reach out to someone if I see them getting hurt in the media, even if I don't know them. I've reached out to several people who are even in the public eye who have been, you know, shamed and bullied and made belittled. And I've reached out to them and said, hey, just saying hi here if you want to chat because I know what it feels like. I know when I make a mistake, I'm the one who is most hard on myself. And I can imagine that you're going through whatever it is you're going through and feeling those that horrendous, you know, guilt or shame yourself. And then on top of that, you've got everybody else having an opinion. It's just that you have it played out on magazine covers. <laughs> Glasses <laughs> on. God. Just here to get the milk and the bread. I'm out of here. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> and in saying that, I mean, what advice would you give to that, Michelle, going through that extraordinarily hard time in your life? It's just time. 
you know, someone, I had so many people say time heals, time heals. And how many times I just wanted to, you know, headbutt them. <laughs> say, oh, shut totally. up. <laughs> but it's true. Um, time. Heals. And I think having that really close circle of friends and family who've got you back and remembering what you've got to be grateful for. You, there's a lot to be grateful for. It's so true for anybody who's going through a really tough time. So moving forward, will we be seeing you on TV again anytime soon? Oh, you never know. Stand by for news. I mean, I would love to do something again. Um, it is so much fun and it's a medium that I really enjoy. And I never expected that I would enjoy it so much when I was started doing, even when I started doing more if you carry on, I thought, it's just, I don't know how I feel about this. Fronting. Um, but I've, I've always enjoyed it and I've always had so much fun doing it and a lot of support. And um, it seems like I've been able to inspire a lot of people along the way. So yeah, stay tuned. I really appreciate the time that you've taken to talk to me today and to share those very vulnerable experiences with me. It really means a lot. Thank you. You're welcome. An important message with our women's communities, um, share the dignity and uh, always discreet you know like I feel like it's such a it's such a worthy cause and it's really something that we should be talking about more and more um to get rid of it like you would think in the year 2021 there's anything left taboo I mean haven't we talked about everything mm, such a worthy cause and guys if you want to know anything else about share the dignity and always discreet the information will be in the show notes Michelle thank you so much honestly it has been such a pleasure awesome thank you On next week's episode, I chat to influencer Holly Lee Liu. And if you don't believe in besties at first sight, you haven't heard Holly and I meet for the very first time. Holly and I discuss what it really means to be an influencer, why she hates when people ask her what she does all day, and why we absolutely will be watching Netflix's new show when it comes out, Byron Bays. It is such a fun listen. Then, during a bonus episode, I chat to Simon Cohen, star of Amazon Prime's hottest new reality show, Lux Listing Sydney. I've had a chance to sneak a preview of the new series, and I gotta say, it's not one to be missed. And if you like this chat, you can rate, follow and review and follow me on Instagram at AnitaAnnabelle underscore and at the Good Chat Pod. See you next week.